Welcome to the Chi Alpha at UNC Chapel Hill podcast. This podcast is designed to help you grow through our three foundations, devoted disciples, deep friendships, and deliberate servants. We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, hey, we're glad that you guys are with us tonight. And uh, if you are joining later by way of the podcast, we're also glad that you are doing that. Also, podcasts, as always, are available through the website, xa-unc.com. You click on podcast, or you can find us on YouTube, not YouTube, sorry, iTunes, or Spotify, UNC Chi Alpha, and there are dozens and dozens from going back a couple years now that we started a podcast for teachings there at your leisure and when you have time to really process stuff. So, hey, thrilled that you guys are with us. Um, We are kicking off a three-week series, little mini-series, on what we call Chi Alpha DNA or XA DNA, XA being the Greek letters of abbreviations for Chi and Alpha. Um, we break down a lot of who we are, why we exist, and, and why we gather together in a fellowship uh, by what we call the three Ds, and that is devoted disciples, deep friendships, deep friends, and deliberate servants. That's how we frame and anchor ourselves in terms of who we are and how, why we exist and how we do life together and pursue Jesus together. It just helps us kind of have that, have that framework. And tonight, we're going to kick it off with the first one, which is devoted disciples. And if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how we talked about lordship and how that's really a little bit of an antiquated word, right? Lord and lordship, and we don't really use those things anymore. Disciple and discipleship are a little bit like that. We kind of know what they mean, and we've heard them at different points and whatnot, but we don't necessarily use the, the phrases very often. Um, I think most commonly today, outside of Christian circles, you would just hear it in the sports world, where it's like, this guy was, this player was a disciple of this coach, or this coach was a disciple of that coach, kind of. They learned from them, right, and then took everything they learned and then went out and did it on their own. So um, the interesting thing is the early church was not... Uh, being called a disciple was something that, that started from the very beginning versus, say, being called a Christian, for example. Um, the name Christian actually, which means belonging to Christ or little Christ, appears to have been invented from outside the church, actually, and came along later. Uh, first, as far as we know from the biblical context, anyway, is the, the church in Antioch was the first one where believers or followers of Christ, disciples of Christ, were called Christians. And it wasn't even a good term. It was a derogatory term. It was a way of like, put you're a Christian, right? It was like, oh, it almost put you down. Um, because up until that point, they were known as followers of the way. They were known as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth rather than Christians. And even today, if you look at it, the, word, the term Christian, if somebody labels you that, it's not always a positive thing even today. It's kind of come cyclical. It's kind of come back around a bit. Uh, today, if you hear the term Christian instead of disciple, for example, it might carry the, the connotation of being bigoted or hypocritical or narrow-minded or uh, judgmental even. Uh, now, sometimes that's accurate, but also can be very unfair at the same time, I think, anyway. Uh, but in other words, whether then or now, that term is more like Christians are kind of going against the advance and flow of the culture, if you will. Sometimes that's necessary. And as we look at what it means to be a disciple of Christ, sometimes you have to go against the flow, but knowing how to navigate that is, is really important. How do you, how do you focus yourself and, and carry yourself through 
in being a good follower of Jesus. And it, that's the first thing I want you guys to get tonight is a disciple's a follower. Okay? Someone who adheres completely to the teachings of another and makes, and, and makes those teachings the rule of life and conduct for themselves. Essentially, a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus who adheres completely to his teachings and then makes that rule and conduct for their own lives as well. Um, now, this also means that it carries the idea of being a learner. So if you're a disciple, you're both a follower and you're a learner as you go because it's a, it's a growth process, right? We don't just enter into a relationship with Jesus and, and we've already got it all figured out and our life is smooth and it's just in, in lockstep with Jesus and everything's great. We've got to work on ourselves or let God work on us a bit. And so it's a learning process. So to be a disciple of Christ means we're a follower and a continual learner. Now, if you look at those first disciples, they, most of them really weren't of much reputation at all. You've got fishermen, you know, in, in the case of John and James and Andrew and Peter. You've got a tax collector and Matthew. You've got this variety of things going on. Um, in fact, willingness was their only initial quality, which is not a bad one to have, to be willing to follow Jesus. Uh, and at that time, also being a disciple was something much deeper, much more sacrificial and outwardly expressed even. People knew you as a disciple of this particular teacher. And in fact, in the Bible, that's one of the most common early translations of who Jesus is, by the disciples anyway, is they call him teacher. And so they were making a declaration as, I am a student of this teacher. And there were many of those kind of schools, if you will, all around uh, Israel and the expanded areas at that time where people were adhering to this teaching or that teacher or this this school of thought or this school of belief. But what was key to all that was you knew that if you entered into that, it was serious. It was going to cost you something, right? It wasn't just haphazard. It wasn't like we do on media today. We're like, yeah, I follow that person. I like what they've got to say. And then if I don't, I unfollow them, right? It's not casual. It's, it, it, it's, it, it is a full commitment. It's why in Luke uh, chapter 14 that we're challenged to count the cost before we enter into a, a relationship, a discipleship relationship in particular with Jesus. Because ultimately, come is an invitation, but, to, but following is a commitment, right? When you say, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus, I'm going to become a disciple of Jesus, I'm making a commitment to not only a lifestyle, but to a person, to God himself. Um, and in other words, let me, let me put it in a few other ways. It means I'm making myself subordinate to the one I am following as I try to be like that person in all areas of my life. Now, you wouldn't do that with just anybody, right? With just an ordinary whoever. But in the case of Christ, um, we have an example and a model to follow that is unfailing and perfect and sinless versus all the options that we have uh, around us now. As a disciple, I am called to align my goals in life with his. Um, I am called to make God my highest priority, the center of my life, my teacher. He becomes the lens by which I see and I understand everything else, including myself. When Jesus calls us, he's both calling us to himself and to ourselves. In other words, to be our better selves or our original selves. If you take that, we were all created in the image of God, right, with a purpose and a destiny and, and nature that God intended for us to have. And as sinful beings, we've broken and gotten away from that. And Jesus is saying, if you come 
and, and if you receive my redemption and my forgiveness and come and be with me, then we're going to work on restoring you back to that original version of you that you were intended to be. Now, I mentioned student teacher a moment ago, but this is being a disciple of Jesus is not, it's not a classroom setting, right? It occurs in relationship, not in, in, in something like as we're at university, right? We think of, well, I went to, uh, to Die Hall 101, and that's where this class happens, and this teacher teaches this. No, it happens in relationship. So it's not as simple as do as I say, or here's some information, memorize it, and regurgitate it back to people when they ask you what you think and what you believe. Rather, God says in, in being a disciple and being a discipleship relationship, let's walk this out together. Very different way. Um, and John in particular, which is my favorite book of the Bible, is the idea then that he comes to live with us when we place our faith in him and commit ourselves to him. John chapter 14, verse 23 um, says this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now you could insert whatever pronoun you want in place of him. This apply. This is universally applicable to all human beings. And then in John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will disclose to you what is to come. And so there's this idea of not just, I'm telling you what to think. I'm telling you what to believe. I'm just downloading information to you. There's this, this, this relationship that I am going to go alongside of you, not only model this for you, but help you in the process. So God makes his home with us and guides us in all truth, right? Which sometimes runs, runs up against obstacles at times, namely our old, our old nature, which tends to be, if we're honest, it tends to be pretty self-centered at times. What I want, my happiness, what I want to do with my life, what I think is important, what I value. But we know that his teaching is trustworthy because he understands and empathize with, empathizes with us. Um, how do we know that? Because he, lived, he came and lived amongst us, right? He knows what it's like to be hungry and to be abused, to love, to lose, to be cold even. Um, and, and that's important because if we think about it in our lives, who are the people in our lives that when we're struggling with something, we let them speak into our lives to help us. They're typically either people we have very close bond with or it's someone who has experienced the very thing that you are going through, right? When you know someone has gone through the very thing that you're struggling with or that you're trying to, to wrestle change out with, then you're going to let that person speak into your life because they've been there, done that. And so is the case with Jesus in all areas of life, right? It's not just... He's not a God standing far off and go, do as I say or else. He's like, no, I understand. I had nights where I didn't sleep. I had days where I, uh, my friends died, right? I understand the struggles of the day. And so it's a relationship. So what kind of relationship does discipleship happen in? Well, it, it, here's the thing that I think that a lot of us haven't necessarily um, wanted to have happened in our walk with Jesus. What I mean by that is we like comfortable Christianity. We like to go so far. We like to, the idea of like, I'm rescued from my sins. I'm redeemed. I'm going to go be with God one day. I like going to church and singing certain songs and certain things and, and doing the food pantry and other things that are comfortable. 
But, um, but I think the relationship of being uh, of discipleship that God calls us into is one of transformation. And that sometimes can be far more drastic and far reaching within us than, than we're, we're willing to go sometimes. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, obviously, he's, play, he's talking to Peter and Andrew and, and the guys that are fishermen at this time. There's a play on, on words there. But the one word I want, I want you to grab hold of there is the make part. Okay? He's telling you that if you're willing, he is going to make you into something. Right? He's not just going to affirm you and where you're at in your life or even what your hopes and dreams are, not that he's not in your corner. He may, he may be like, absolutely have those hopes and dreams. I'm going to cheer you on. That's awesome. But he's really concerned about molding us and shaping us into that, that image and that destiny and that purpose that he had for us from before the time we were born. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that, that even before we were born, God had works prepared for us in advance to walk into. I think that's verse 10, I believe, in chapter, chapter 2. Um, if you've never read C.S. Lewis, I would really encourage you to read something from C.S. Lewis, in particular this book, Mere Christianity. It's probably, it's in the top three of books that I, would, I, that I love. It's not a long book, but there's so much packed into this book. And in particular, C.S. Lewis addresses this issue of transformation in relationship with Christ. And he says this, he says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised by that part of God working on you, right? But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers and making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage as a Christian, right? But he is building a palace and he intends to come and live in it himself. So while it sounds great that God's going to walk with us, when he comes to dwell in relationship with us as a follower of his, he's going to do so. He's going to make some big changes in us for the good. Now, how does that play out? Well, one thing is, um, if you look at Romans chapter twelve, verse two, Paul addresses this and says, "This uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable." And perfect. And so one of the ways that God comes in and begins to renovate our, our living house, so to speak, as a disciple is he starts transforming the way we think. Sometimes it's the way we think about ourselves, whether that's poorly or too highly. Um, sometimes the way what we think about others, what we think about God himself, uh, what we think about our purpose and our mission and what our responsibilities are in the world as well. And then in Galatians chapter 2, Paul kind of takes it even a little bit further as if you're going to be a disciple, he, he says this, he says to, in verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I have committed myself to Christ the teacher, but it is him who comes and lives in me and therefore his will and his character and his nature is what I am striving for in my life. So in other words, 
I'm choosing to conform my will to His, especially when the two don't overlap. It's okay for, for, for you to have your own will. Absolutely, I think God purposed and designed that, right? But sometimes that can go askew from what God wants for us and wants us to be. It's a discipline that bows to His Lordship as my Creator and my Redeemer. I'm trusting that His nature is better than mine. Not a big stretch, depending on what you think of yourself, maybe. Um, also that His purposes and identity and design for me are far better than any, the best idea I had of myself. Right? Ultimately, God is not looking for people who just obey a set of rules. He's looking for people that are becoming who they are created to be. And He's saying to us, I'm not only calling you to that, and calling you to commit yourself to me and to my teachings. But as we go, as we go, we're going to become together what you were designed to be from the beginning. So as we are, as we are going to find out in a couple of weeks here, over the next couple of weeks, we'll do deep friendships and deliberate servants. Next week, actually, we're going to have, um, going to have an alum come in uh, alongside of of Emily and, and one of our other current students, and we're going to talk about deep friendships in the context of, of faith and, and how important that is. But then also the third week, we're going to be talking about um, what does it mean to be a deliberate servant? How do, we play, how do we walk out this mission that God has placed upon us? And so he's not just renovating us for the sake of us to be better and more like him only, but also he's preparing us for the mission that lies ahead for us in this world. I want to wrap us up tonight um, by giving us some just a few practical things, right? Some of this will be very self-evident, but at the same time, it, it, it's the things that underpin and give you a foundation in your walk with Christ are, are often not the complicated things, but they're foundational and concrete, things you can trust, but also things you have to practice at the same time. So I'm going to give us a word, pass, P-A-S-S. Now, the order of this is not significant. I just tried to find a way that we could all remember <laughs> the four things here, so I used pass. The first one's pretty obvious. It's pray. You wouldn't want a relationship where you didn't talk with the other person very often. You wouldn't have a very good relationship if that person never talked with you very often. The idea of being in prayer consistently and communicating and seeking God through that process is incredibly important in being a disciple. It's incredibly important, I think, as being a human being. And so pray, seek God, ask Him to reveal what areas of your life need to come in alignment with Him. Be willing to let that transformative process begin and let Him remodel us, so to speak. Listen. That's the part of prayer, I think, often that we, we don't really think a whole lot about. We ask a lot of things, but we don't often listen for the responses. And if they don't come quickly, we really don't often listen for responses. And then write down any thoughts that might come through the process. I, I don't know about you guys. I keep a journal. And sometimes it's a prayer journal. Sometimes it's just to write you know, thoughts down. But I find many times through prayer that one way for me to capture both what I'm praying for and the answer to that prayer is I write it down or the things that God's working on me in between. I also, through that process, write it down. So pray. Second one's act. 
Um, take simple steps that allow you to stand firmly on what you know in the process of following Jesus, in the process of believing, in the process of faith. There are certain elements that are pretty easy for us to say, I believe that, right? That's, I believe that one. I'm 100%. I'm, I'm solid on that one. Well, good. Stand on that one. Live your life day in and day out, acting on the ones that you're confident in and the ones that you have questions about. Um, use that as, a, as kind of a staging area, if you will, in your life to then seek out the answers to those other things that might be a little bit more challenging to uncover, to understand, or to accept. Um, so take simple steps that allow you to, to be firm in what you know while you're in process of discovering what you don't know and what you need to find out. Now, the, the cool thing there is we don't do this by ourselves. To this point, we've talked about relationship with God, right? Discipleship happens, in, but it also is intended to happen within, within the framework of other people, of other disciples, other believers. And that's why Chi Alpha exists. It's why your church, your local church exists. Any fellowship of, of Christians exists is because we understand that, yes, we have a dynamic, transformative relationship that we are pursuing with Jesus, but it's also designed to pursue with other believers, with our brothers and sisters in the faith at the same time. Why is that? Because as you, as you act, as you pray, what you get in that process then is you get accountability with one another. You get encouragement. You, you get the opportunity for other people to build you up in your faith and you build them up in their faith. There's a mutual exchange that happens there. The third thing is study. You're already doing it. That's the good thing. If you're here tonight or you're listening on the podcast later or you're going to life groups during the week or whatever the case may be, or even on your own, obviously, read the scriptures. Now, I would just encourage you, you all to do it this way is don't read the scriptures from the standpoint of volume, like how much can I read at a time, right? To say, oh, I, now maybe it's good to have a goal to say, I want to read the whole New Testament or read the whole Bible even by whatever time. But most of the time, we're going to get the most out of it by digesting it in smaller, smaller bites. So there's no race to finish what you read. The important thing is to glean as much out of it as you can. And one way you can do that is with other people, as we just mentioned, uh, who are also studying the scriptures. You can, uh, I love the fact that, you know, for thousands of years, there's been people studying the Bible that are way smarter than myself. And so going in and finding commentaries and other people's, now there's tons of YouTube videos of really brilliant theologians and apolo- apologists and everything that can help you understand better and more deeply and more, and more broadly the scriptures themselves. So it's not like I have to read it and I just got to figure it all out by myself. And at the same time, what I have found is this, and this was also promised in Scripture in the discipleship process, is God said He would send His Holy Spirit to help us. Anytime I believe that you read the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is trying to make them alive and practical and and applicable to to your life, make them real to you. And so uh, let the Holy Spirit open your mind to their significance and application in your life. And then lastly, submit. Man, this is the hardest one. Sometimes it's easy, right? There's some things you just go, yeah, me and, me and Jesus, we're locked in on that. We're in agreement, no problem. But then there are other areas of our lives that it gets to be a lot harder to, to submit our will to His. And yet that's the prayer that we're challenged to give, or at least part of the prayer that we're challenged by Jesus Himself to give, which is to pray, Father, Your will be, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my life as it is. As, 
as you intended or you have best intentions for me in that. And so these are just practical, simple ways, pass, pray, act, study, submit, that you can begin to not only stabilize yourself in your faith walk with Jesus, but you can begin growing, uh, sometimes incrementally and sometimes not as fast as you want, but other times you might find that God takes you in leaps and bounds forward in your faith and shows you things that you never would have uncovered by yourself. Um, And so we do this in relationship with Him. But being a disciple of Christ also means we do that in relationship with one another, which is why here in Chi Alpha, devoted disciples is such, such an important component of who we are and how we express our faith and live our faith out. So I want to pray with you guys, and then uh, we're going to do, do a little small group question and, uh, and discussion after that. Y'all good with that? All right. Well, let's, uh, let's just take a moment and pray. Father, once again, we, um, we thank you that um, you come to us. You don't stand far off and, and demand things of us, but rather you love us enough to come and, 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 and know physically and emotionally in every way what it is that we go through every day. And that you still call us and, and beckon us to yourself and to ourselves, who you want us to be, who you created us to be. And Lord, we want that so much. Not just that we can pat ourselves on the back or that we feel that, that you are pleased with us, although we, we most certainly want you to be pleased with us. But Lord, that we might walk fully in the abundance of what you destined and purposed and placed us here for. That others might know you too. That we might love our neighbors as ourselves. That we might love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and know the beauty of that. To know the hope of that. So Lord, we, uh, we submit our, ourselves, our wills, our hopes and dreams to you. And Lord, we say take, take who we are and do something special with it. And in that process, Lord, we commit to following you with all our hearts and adhering our lives to your teachings and all that you are calling us to. Help us to do that. And Lord, we'll praise you every step of the way. May in us and through us, people know you and we might make you known. In Jesus' name, amen. today's message. For more information about our ministry, visit us on the web at www.xa-unc.com.